We're in a new series now called uh, Listen, and uh, I'm really excited about, uh, about where we're going in the next several weeks. We are going to be talking about this need to uh, uh, have an ability to, to actually hear from God and whether or not we know how to do that or what that looks like. And um, as I jump out here, I just want to, uh, in full disclosure, we do a lot of different things here. We do series. Um, we walk through books of the Bible. We do topical messages. We do all of those kinds of things, and this is a, a, a series we're going to be in for the next four weeks. And, and this particular series actually comes out of uh, the Mariner's Church who produced Rooted. And so it's a, it's a part of kind of partnering with them. We know some of uh, 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 their stuff now. And uh, so I, <clears throat> in full disclosure, want to talk about that. But also just uh, I'm really excited to feel the tension of do we know how to hear from God? How do we figure out what his voice looks like? And so full disclosure, I'm gonna resolve uh, that to leave you in tension today a little bit. I'm not going to answer all of the questions today. So if you come just today and you miss the next three weeks, you're probably gonna leave with some questions and I'm totally okay with that. We have a podcast, you can follow online or you can show up or you can ask somebody. You can get into a rooted group and you can talk about it, uh, but we're not gonna be able to solve all of it today. It's gonna take four weeks to kind of cover the one topic because I know that football started today and if I try to cover the whole topic at whenever the, what the Seahawks play today, right? <laughs> easy, easy, easy. And amen, we're done. No, <laughs> right? I know you won't stay here long enough for me to cover all those topics, so we got four weeks to kind of break it out. But I want to talk a little bit um, about how do we learn to identify a voice. In particular, how do we learn to identify our father's voice? And I bet if I were to ask you right now to talk about your father's voice, it would, in you, it, it, would, it would draw some emotion, but you would have something to say. So we're gonna start a little light and then we're gonna get a little heavier, but I wanted to play a little bit of a game with you. Now listen, this is not an endorsement of any of the films that I'm about to reference. However, I Googled like top father's voices in movies and we have some clips and we're gonna play just a little game. And so your job is to see if you can identify whose voice this is. And, uh, and no judgment if you've seen or not seen any of these movies, okay? We're all friends and we're family here, okay? And so, uh, and so I, you're gonna listen and don't yell it out until it's over and then I'll give you a chance to yell it out and see if you recognize whose voice that is. Because we learn to recognize certain voices. Let's do the first one. I don't know who you are. I don't know what you want. If you are looking for a ransom, I can tell you I don't have money. But what I do have are a very particular set of skills. <laughs> that sounds like an intense father. Do you guys know who that is? Liam Neeson, are you right? Yeah, it's Liam Neeson. He has a pretty particular voice, huh? All right, let's see if you can recognize this father's voice. <laughs> Did you recognize that voice? Whose voice was that? Arnold. Yeah, that was Arnold, the governor. <laughs> All right, you guys know how the game works now. Let's do a couple more. This one's pretty... Uh... You do not yet realize your importance. You have only begun to discover your power. Join me, and I will complete your training. <laughs> Which father was that? Yeah, but what's his name, the actor? 
No idea. James Earl Jones, right? It was between that and Mufasa, because he did, he did those two really good ones, but I thought that one was a little more iconic. All right, this might be a little harder as a father. Let's see if you get this one. He's going to hit as hard as life, but it ain't about how hard you hit. It's about how hard you can get hit and keep moving forward, how much you can take and keep moving forward. That's how winning is done. Whose voice was that? Sylvester Stallone. Yeah, he's the dad in Rocky. Yeah, there you go. All right, one last one. No, two last ones. Sorry. <laughs> Good point. But better safe than sorry. So I was wrong this time. But by God, I wasn't wrong when I mailed you my diary. <laughs> uh-huh. You obviously got it. Who is that guy? James Bond, right? Oh, no, Sean Connery. <laughs> oh, that's great. That's great. Okay, this is the last one. See if you recognize this father. Let me ask you something. If someone prays for patience, do you think God gives them patience? Or does he give them the opportunity to be patient? If they prayed for courage, does God give them courage? Or does he give them opportunities to be courageous? If someone prayed for the family to be closer, do you think God zaps them with warm, fuzzy feelings? Or does it give them opportunities to love each other? Yeah, whose voice is that? Yeah, he's playing God in that role, right? Father's love and a father's voice. So we recognize there are distinctives of voices that we are trained to pick up. And you know the sound of your father's voice. I wonder what you think about when you think about your father's voice. I remember I was 17 years old. It was uh, Christmas. It was the last Christmas that I spent in uh, California, living in California. We moved away uh, that year, went to college, and it was my last Christmas as kind of a kid in the house. And uh, I was actually over at my then uh, smoking hot girlfriend's house. Um, she's now my smoking hot wife, so I can say that. <laughs> And uh, I was over at her house, and we were exchanging gifts, and we were talking about Christmas things, and uh, we were talking about some of the difficulties of having, we both have very blended and, and mixed, matched families, and, uh, and something hit me that year. It was a, a difficult uh, thing to reconcile. It was the first time I realized that I no longer recognized my biological father's voice. You know how you have kind of some core memories that you hold on to? And the last time I saw my biological father, I was five. And I remember the experience because he kidnapped me, kept me for three days, and then decided I wasn't as much fun uh, as a five-year-old as maybe <laughs> he thought I was going to be. And he dropped me off at my grandmother's house after three, three days. And I remember the experience, but I can't remember, come on now, his voice. And it was a challenging thing to think that I no longer had a, a memory of my father's voice. And so, so there's something powerful about hearing your father's voice. Now, when I asked you about your father's voice, for some of you, it, it created a nostalgia. For some of you, it created a, a, a warmth, and, and you heard your father's voice in your head, and, and maybe it was happy, maybe it was joyful, maybe it was his laugh, maybe it was the way he explained a story or taught you something or encouraged you, maybe it was comforting. For others of us, sometimes the idea of our father's voice and we hear anger or frustration. For some of us, we hear criticism or sarcasm. For some, even abuse. 
There's a lot of reaction when we talk about the knowing and hearing of our father's voice. Maybe like, like me, when you think about your father's voice, there's just silence. Why is this an important kickoff to this conversation? Because God has clearly identified himself as our heavenly father. And it is within our nature to take our, our project onto God, what we, the attributes that we picked up from our earthly father. And so it can be difficult sometimes to discern the voice of our heavenly father because the voice we hear in our head is often the voice of our earthly father. So I wonder, what do we think God sounds like? I bet if I were to walk around the room and ask questions and say, what does God sound like to you? We would get a series of answers. Some may duplicate, but many would be unique to your experience. And I wonder a little bit if God sounds like your father in your head. Maybe God sounds kind and jovial and warm and encouraging and explaining things to you. Maybe he's angry. Maybe he's sarcastic. Maybe the voice that you hear in your head that you've attributed to God is critical. Maybe he's silent. Maybe he's silent. That's the point of this series, this listen series, is to begin a conversation about who God really is and how he speaks to us and what his voice is really like. Maybe we've been wondering if God speaks at all. So Jesus teaches us some things about experiencing life with God as a father. Jesus teaches us what it's like to walk with God as a father. And that's one of the incredible things that we get out of the scriptures is Jesus teaches us. So because of Jesus, we recognize God does want to identify as a father. He starts the prayer with our father in heaven. He changes the narrative of a dispassionate uh, uh, deity in the sky to a personal father relationship with God. Jesus wants us to understand that we should interact with God as a father. Father in heaven. Abba, daddy. Jesus also teaches us that when we see Jesus, we see the father. John chapter five, I and only do what I see the father doing. And so if we want to know what God's like, then we can look at the life of Jesus because Jesus says, I only do the things I see my father doing. Now, this is helpful. Let's remember, it's something like 80% of all communication is nonverbal, right? Somewhere depending on who you listen to, somewhere around that. So God's nonverbal communication can be seen in the life of Jesus, so it is helpful for us when we're trying to discern, come on now, what God's voice is like to look at the life and actions and behaviors of Jesus. If you're ever wondering what God is like, just look at how Jesus behaves. Look at the way he treats people who are different than him, who come from different backgrounds, who don't agree with him on belief. Look at the way he treats people who have a religious spirit, who are uppity and believe they're better than everyone else. Look at the way that he uh, uh, manages his life and his resources. Look at the way he manages his time and does life in community with other people. You want to know what God the Father's like? Look at the behaviors of Jesus. 
So we know that God wants us to see him as a father and we know that we can see his behavior when we look at Jesus and that gives us a massive platform to start the conversation about communication. But we gotta learn what his voice is like. And if we don't learn what his voice is like, then there'll always be a tension in us to experience it. So if you've got your Bibles out, I'm gonna be in John chapter 10 today. And we're gonna walk through this uh, conversation that Jesus has about his voice. And this is gonna set up the next several weeks. I'm not gonna solve all the tension, but I'm just gonna set up the next several weeks with this conversation. And in John chapter 10, verse 27, Jesus says this. He says, my sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. He says, my sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. We know there are sheep. We know they are his. We know he has a voice. We know he knows his sheep. We know his sheep follow him. This is a pretty radical and huge statement for Jesus to make, especially in light of the Psalm that we all know, Psalm 23, where, where when Jesus begins to identify himself as the good shepherd, he is literally coming to the table saying, I'm God. And I interact with you the way that David described in Psalm 23, that's me. When David says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. That's me. So we gotta figure out how do we get to this massive, huge statement. Now, because of time, I'm going to summarize some stuff and then you should follow along and make sure I'm not making this up because it's hilarious. John chapter 10, uh, it, it cannot be understood without understanding John chapter nine. And so I'm gonna give you just a little bit of context of what's going on. In John chapter nine, Jesus has this incredible and humorous encounter. He encounters a man who was born blind. And John chapter nine, John tells the story of, of, of Jesus encountering this man that was born blind. And he, he comes across this man who was born blind and the disciples ask him, they basically say, hey, was this guy born blind uh, because of his sin or his parents' sin? Because in that culture at that time, everyone who was uh, 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 carrying some kind of ailment, they just believed it must be a direct result of someone's sin. Oh, your, your parents, they, didn't, they weren't faithful and so look what happened to you. And Jesus just wipes out that narrative. And he says, no, 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 none of that is what's happening here. What's happening here is there's an opportunity for you to see the power and the love of God on display. He changes the narrative. And so he does this thing that's kind of crazy. Uh, and, and for me to say that the thing that Jesus did is kind of crazy is saying a lot because he did some wild things. He spits on the ground and he makes mud and he puts it on the guy's eyes. Now, the amount of faith that this guy has right off the bat to let someone, I mean, you're already begging. You're already in a weak position, a powerless position. And what you're asking for is money. And what you get is spit mud on your face. <laughs> this is not a good look if this doesn't work for Jesus. I'm just saying. The last thing you want to see is someone in this kind of situation. So he spits on the ground, he makes mud, he puts it on the guy's face, and then he says, I want you to go to the pool of Silo and wash. This is a bizarre interaction. He could have just said, hey, receive your sight. But something's happening here in the greater narrative of, of Jesus's ministry. And he says, this is for a purpose. All of this is coming together. So he spits on the ground, wipes it in the guy's face. Now, can I just make a comment here? 
Sometimes Jesus asks us or invites us into a process that seems ridiculous in the moment. And we resist the ridiculous because it doesn't make sense to us. And we miss that Jesus is in the middle of a process, that he's building something up. And sometimes our pride, come on now. Sometimes our pride, we don't, (laughs) I'll be careful. We don't wanna lose any of our pride. This guy had to get spit in his face to get to his miracle. What are you willing to have happen to get to your miracle? Just saying, that's a whole nother message. So that happens. He goes to the pool of Shiloh. How he gets there, we don't know. He's blind. Someone had to help him, right? I've actually been to the, the pool of Shiloh. They've discovered it recently and it's all excavated. It's pretty cool. And you can see the spot where this happens. It's like in the heart of town. It's right next to the temple. He goes to the pool of Shiloh and he washes his face, gets the spit out of there. And when he wipes the mud off, he can see. Now people are going crazy because he's a local. They've known him his whole life. He's an adult. He's been blind. He's begging all the time. He's right by the temple. And so the religious crowd, the Pharisees and Sadducees, they see what's happened. They see the commotion. They go, what's this commotion? And the guy's like, I can see, I can see. They're like, what happened? They say, well, this Jesus guy, he tells a story, spit on me. Now I can see. And they're like, this guy must be a demon. It's like, how can he be a demon? How can he be a devil? He just healed me. And they said, well, he must be a devil because it's Saturday. And we don't, we don't believe that miracles should happen on Saturday. That's the Sabbath. And to which the guy's like, I, I don't understand. How can something like this miraculous happen to me? And they said, well, well, describe him. He's like, bro, five minutes ago, I couldn't see. <laughs> I can't describe him. I can just tell you that he was Jesus. And they're, right? And they're like, we don't believe you. Go get your mama. And he does. He goes and gets his mom and dad. And they're like, is this really your son? And they're like, yes, this is our son. And they said, why did you let this happen? They're like, he's a grown-up. Why are we even here? It's a hilarious story. And, and, uh, and, and there's a motive. The, the religious group, they want to they cast the family out of the church because it's Saturday. All this, all this ruckus on a Saturday. They're supposed to be resting. And so the family leaves and they leave the son there and and they're like, hey, we want you to just kind of disavow Jesus and then everything will be fine. He's like, what do you mean? He goes, five, 10 minutes ago now, I couldn't see. And now I can see, why would I, why would I do that? And then they said, well, well, tell us about Jesus. And he goes, why? You guys want to become his disciples too? And they're like, you're calling yourself a disciple. He's like, bro, I can see. You're missing the point here. And then kick him out of the church. They boot him out of relationship. And that's John chapter nine. So John chapter 10, Jesus shows up. It's, it's, it's the next chapter, but it's the same story, okay? So the conversation that he's having is in the room full of people who have just called him the devil, who have just kicked out of the church someone who he has healed and done a miracle for, for basically admitting that he's pretty interested in a relationship with Jesus now. So Jesus walks into the room and we see this, John chapter 10, verse one, we're gonna back up to go forward. Verse one, Jesus' first words, he says, very truly, I tell you Pharisees. He's like, all right, listen up. 
because this isn't gone the way it should have gone. He says, anyone who doesn't enter the sheep pen by the gate, but climbs in by some other way is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate, that's the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him. The sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and he leads them out. When he's brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them and his sheep follow because they know his voice. But they'll never follow a stranger. In fact, they'll run away from him because they don't even recognize a stranger's voice. And Jesus used this figure of speech, verse six, but the Pharisees did not understand what he was telling them. So Jesus uses this figure of speech, this metaphor of, of a shepherd. He walks in and he starts a conversation and he says, there's a gate and there's a shepherd calling his sheep. Now we have to understand this. I am a city boy. So I know very little about farm animals. So everything I know, I have to research or ask somebody, okay? This is not from experience. But here's how I understand this. There are two kinds of shepherds at this time. There were shepherds that were just like always out in the field and they never came in. And there was like shepherds that were in town and they'd go out into the field and they'd come in at night. And he's referring to these shepherds that would come in at night. And the way that it would work is there'd be one large pen and the shepherds would one by one lead their sheep into the pen that was in town. And they would, they would stand at the gate and they'd watch each one of their sheep go by. And they had the, the staff, right, with the hook in it. And they kind of look at their sheep. They'd inspect them. It's, you know, they've been out all day, make sure they're not injured, nothing's wrong with them. And they'd count them and their sheep would go into the pen. And then when they were done, they would go home and go to sleep. And the next shepherd would come in and load their sheep. And then there was a gate watchman who had the night shift. And that person would close the gate and would watch the sheep at night. The shepherds would go home and go to bed. They'd wake up in the morning, get over to the pen. The gate watchman would recognize the shepherd, open the gate, and then that shepherd would have a very distinct call, a special whistle or a voice, and, you know, look up here, look up here, right? <laughs> Whatever his call was, he'd start doing his call. And all of the sheep who were hanging out in the pen would hear, look up here, that belonged to that shepherd, and they'd go, Brrr that's my shepherd. And they'd start marching out the gate and he'd have his rod and he'd, you know, check them out as they go, make sure they were okay through the night. He'd do his head count and get to his hundred. They'd close the gate. He'd high five that guy. And he'd go off and look for the pasture where he was going to go and tend to his sheep. So that's the context of the story Jesus is using as he's talking to these Pharisees in town. And he's saying, if you enter by the gate, right? Then you belong there. You belong. You're their shepherd. So anyone who comes in some other way, who hops the gate, who sneaks in, who comes from any other place, doesn't at, does that because they have no actual authority over the sheep. But the guy who comes to the gate, that's the actual shepherd. So the gatekeeper opens the gate for him. The sheep listen to his voice. He calls them and they come out. That's the story. So now you understand the analogy of what he's doing. And he's, what he's doing is he's describing himself and his father in terms of that kind of shepherd. They have just kicked this guy out like they were the gate. Like they were the gatekeeper, like they had authority to decide who was in relationship with God and who wasn't. And he's saying, only the shepherd, come on church, only the shepherd gets to decide who the sheep that belong to him are. And the sheep that belong to him will respond to his voice. And you don't get to come in and tell somebody else that they're out. 
That's my job. He is laying the smackdown on these guys with a nice metaphor. I just want you to catch what's happening. And he's probably a little miffed because John chapter 9, you saw this entire story unfold. And he says, they'll never follow a stranger anyways. In fact, they'll run away from a stranger's voice that they don't recognize. He's like, they recognize that what's coming out of you is strange. It's legalistic. They can't, are you telling me that his miracle doesn't count because it happened on a Saturday? That's foreign. He doesn't want to be in relationship with you anymore. He's out. But he's heard my voice. And now he's actually in. Verse seven, he goes on. Therefore, Jesus said again, very true. Whenever he says very truly, he's like, bro, right? So you could just translate very truly to bro, but you got to say it like that in your head. Bro, I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. He's like, I'm the one who's in, who's out, who's in, who's out. That's my job. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers and the sheep haven't listened to them. It's like, you know why this thing is only as strong as the rules and regulations you've put in place? Because people aren't listening to you. The heart isn't right. Verse nine, I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and they will find pasture. What's he saying? You think you just threw this guy out. You think you just controlled his destiny, that being outside of relationship with you means outside of relationship with me. I make that call. He's okay. I decide. Now there's a thief in here and that's a, that's a shot, verse 10. The thief comes only to steal and to kill and to destroy. But I've come that they may have life and have it to the full. Some versions say abundantly, lavishly pouring it out on them. He says, there's a thief and I ain't scared of him. Verse 11, I'm the good shepherd and the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Verse 12, the hired hand is not the shepherd and doesn't own the sheep. So when he sees a wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and he runs away. The wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. That man runs away because he's a hired hand. He cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep. My sheep know me. Just as the father knows me and I know the father, I lay my life down for the sheep. Now, we've had this conversation from time to time and it just is a harsh reality. The Bible calls us sheep all the time. <laughs> I don't know if I were to ask you, like, like we do this sometimes with, with our kids. Like, if you could be any animal, like we do, if you could have any superpower, like any, whatever conversation, you know, just to start the conversation and get to know and break down your kid, kind of get to know me. If you could be any animal, what would you be? We've probably had that conversation 50 or 100 times in the life of our, of our kids. You know what never came out? Sheep. No one's ever like, yes. You know what I would be? I would be a sheep. I'd be lamb chops. <laughs> like, like, nobody, nobody goes there. It's always like lion, hawk, eagle, something awesome, right? <laughs> we said no to sheep. Um, <laughs> oh, Jesus. Hey, if we can't have fun, family, come on now. <laughs> right? No one ever says sheep. 
I, uh, I read this about sheep this week, and, and I just have to assume it's true. It was, I found it in a couple different places, but um, if, even if it's not true, it's a good picture of, of the life of a sheep. What I read was that, that sheep, as they're brought out to a pasture, they eat and will literally, if they're left unattended, they'll consume every resource in that spot. They don't, like, they don't ration it out or anything. They'll just eat everything. And then once they've eaten everything, all that's left is what happens when they eat it goes through their system and kicks out the other side. And so that area will have nothing except for what's left over, and the sheep will then begin to just eat that. And they'll do that in a continuous cycle until they just die, if they don't have a shepherd to lead them to the next place, right? Now, that's a horrific picture of what a sheep is. That's the picture that the scripture gives of us when we don't have a shepherd, when we don't have someone to direct us to the places that will give us life. And so Jesus is saying, I'm here to direct you to places that will give you life. The other story that I I read, and and I've heard this before, is that when a sheep wanders off, maybe you've heard this, it would be on the shepherd to go and fetch that sheep, and what the shepherd would then do is break the legs of that sheep so that the sheep would learn not to wander off, but then he would carry that sheep. He'd put that sheep on his shoulders until it healed, and during the time while that sheep was healing, it would be fully dependent on the shepherd, and so once that sheep healed up and now its legs were functioning again, you set it down, he would never leave the side of the shepherd again. He wouldn't run off. Now, this is crazy because I had a Bible growing up, like a children's Bible. It was like a yellow-covered Bible, and it was Jesus, and he had long, flowing, blondish hair, which is hilarious. And then he had a, a sheep down here, like a little lamb, and he had another one on his shoulders. And it was, you've seen the picture, right? And it was like this sweet picture of, of Jesus carrying the lamb. No one told me that he broke that lamb's legs. <laughs> no one told me that's why the sheep is on his shoulders right? I didn't know that when I signed up. That's me with the broken legs, right? Lord, please don't break my legs so that I figure out that I need to hear your voice and follow you. Now, when we talk about this passage, we talk a lot about the sheep, but if I'm honest, the emphasis on this pasture, this passage isn't the sheep. The emphasis is on the shepherd, and we could lose ourselves in this, in this really honest conversation about how the Scriptures depict our need for God's voice, but the reality is the picture of a loving shepherd who says, I am not a hired hand. Now, when we think of a hired hand, this is, this is the, the, what I thought of, uh, about this. Is, it's like when you rent a car and you buy the insurance. We abuse that car. We figure out how fast it gets. They get zero to six, right? We'll fit in this parking spot. Like, we don't care. We'll just drive that thing like a maniac. Why? Because it's rented. You get in a hotel room, some of you, and you're gross. You just throw stuff on the ground. I won't say me, <laughs> right? You don't care what happens to that room. It's rented. I'm not invested in it. And that's the picture Jesus says. He says, I didn't rent this vehicle. I purchased it. I laid down my life to purchase it. The value that this sheep has is not a rental. It's not easily replaceable. I am invested in this. It is not something that I am hired to do as a job. It's who I am and who you are. Jesus paints a picture and says, 
because I'm that invested, when the wolf comes, bring it on. Bring it on. It's this picture of a heavenly father and, and his babies are here who he loves. And here comes a, a predator to attack. And he has to make a decision. Am I standing and fighting or am I just bouncing? This is not my problem. If as an earthly father, we know we would stand and fight to the death, how much more our heavenly father says, hey, I'm in this for you and I love you. Jesus paints this incredibly picture, incredible picture. He won't leave. We're not a rental. It's not just a temporary commitment. It's a level of care and compassion of a father, of a good shepherd. What's funny about sheep, one last thing, is the really, the only redeeming quality of a sheep that I could come up with is that they can hear direction and obey. I mean, that's really the only, like, talent, right? They're not particularly fast. I mean, they're hairy, I guess, but when you shear them, you can get some value out of them. But their only skill set that, that seems to come in play, the skill set that Jesus is articulating, is that they can hear, recognize, and obey. So Jesus lays it out for them. There's this tension. I'm gonna skip ahead a little bit because of time. I'll skip down to verse 22. And you should catch, so all of chapter nine and chapter 10 through verse 21 happens in like a day. Between verse 21 and verse 22, like three months go by. So this is a tricky thing when you're reading the scriptures. If, you don't, if you're not kind of paying attention, here's how we know, because all of this is one story and then the, it changes. Verse 22 says, then came the feast of dedication at Jerusalem. It was winter. So all of the conversation before happened about three months before, and then now comes the Feast of Dedication, and it's winter. Now, what's interesting is the Feast of Dedication is not one of the feasts in the Scriptures. You can go all the way through Leviticus and all the way through the Scriptures and look for the Feast of Dedication. It's not in there. I was like, what's the Feast of Dedication? You know what the Feast of Dedication is? It's Hanukkah. It's wintertime. So, so he's in town celebrating Hanukkah. That's pretty cool. Jesus celebrated Hanukkah. He's, he got, he got, and it wasn't a feast that was part of the prescribed religious feast. It was just a relational get together celebration. So, so some of you come from a background where maybe it, it's weird to celebrate Christmas or birthdays or things like you can't celebrate like all these, these aren't the actual holidays. They're not the actual, Jesus didn't care about the actual holidays. He just showed up and partied with people. It's in the scriptures. He's at the feast of dedications. He's back in town hanging out, Right? They're lighting candles, spinning dreidels. I don't know what they do. Someone, I don't mean that to be disrespectful. I literally just don't know what they do. I, I, this is what I know. I should probably study that. I know it has to do with the Maccabees and all that stuff. I just don't know how you celebrate. <laughs> so verse 22, it's Hanukkah. So he goes to Jerusalem. It's winter. And he's back at the temple. It's the next time, kind of according to John's narrative, where he's with the same people who the last time he saw them, he's like, bro, I'm the gate. I'm the shepherd. My voice determines whether the sheep follow or not. Not y'all, right? Pastor Mike reference. So he's back there and he's walking around in Solomon's colonnade, that outer court area, like near the court of the Gentiles where anyone can kind of be. It says the Jews gathered around him and listen to this. They're like, how long are you gonna keep us in suspense? If you're the Christ, just tell us plainly. 
He's been saying, I'm the good shepherd, Psalm 23, right? I'm that guy. I, the sheep know my voice. I'm the gate. I'm the way to relationship with the Father. I'm going to lay down my life for the sheep. And they're like, okay, yeah, we hear you, but are you the Christ or not? He's like, oh, my goodness, shake you, right? He's like, I'm trying to tell you. Verse 25, Jesus answered, I did tell you. You just didn't believe the miracles that I do in my father's name. He's harking back, right? Because the last time he did a miracle, they're like, they're like, oh, you must be a demon. You must be from Beelzebub because you would, you know, God would never do a miracle on a Saturday. That's just not how he works. College football's on. We're busy. You can see the ridiculousness of it when we put it in our current historical context, but, but they, they believed that God just wouldn't do that. And he's like, so the miracles that I do, I do in my father's name. He's like, I only do what the father wants me to do. I'm trying to tell you that I'm from God, that he's my father and that I'm doing that. They speak for me, verse 26, but you don't believe, listen to this, because you're not my sheep. You won't believe because you won't listen to my voice. You won't respond to my voice. You're not hearing my heart. You are more concerned about getting it right than getting into relationship. And that's not who I am. Ouch. Verse 27, this is where we started and we'll land here. See, my sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. Are you the Messiah? I already told you I'm the Messiah. You've seen the miracles. You've seen me behave like the Father. You just don't believe me because you're not mine. You don't trust me. You don't want to know me. Sometimes God lays things out plainly. I love that he says that they say, God, this is, this is so tense because I get so frustrated and I agree with these guys sometimes because I'm like, ah. He's like, Jesus, would you just tell us plainly? How many times have you had that conversation with God? If you want me to date this person, would you just tell me plainly? If you want me to take this career on, would you just tell me plainly? If you want me to move, would you just tell me plainly? If you want me to stay in fellowship with us, would you just tell me plainly? God, would you just tell me plainly? And Jesus is like, I've been talking the whole time. If you were listening to my voice, you would know I know you and you'd follow me. Whoo. Verse 27, you should underline this if you're an underliner. You should highlight it on your phone, whatever you do. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them, and they follow me. Jesus is clear. Communication is always happening on his side. God's been silent. It's like, nope, I haven't been silent. I'm communicating. I'm communicating. You're wondering if God's speaking to you. The answer is yes. The Bible talks about God as a speaking God. Time and time, you go back to the beginning. And God said, let there be light. He engages with his creation through the power of his voice. He is speaking to us all. So Jesus says, my sheep listen to my voice. Now, I love that he says, my sheep listen to my voice, not my sheep hear my voice. Because come on, folks, we know there's a difference between hearing and listening. We know. Parents, you know there's a difference between your kid heard you and your kid listened to you, right? Hey, clean up your room. Okay. Come back around. Hey, clean up your room. Okay. Hey, you got five minutes to clean up your room. Okay. 
10 minutes later, I'm going to choke you if you don't clean. And then they get up and they listen. That's only in my house? Okay, sorry, bad example. Let me think of one that might be in your, right? No, I'm teasing, right? But it's true. And we know the same thing. Come on, husbands. We hear a voice. Hey, can you help me with this over here? Yeah, 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 okay. No, can you help me? I'm like, I work on, yeah, okay, okay. Can you help me? <laughs> oh, I better listen, right? And we tune our ears to listen to specific voices. We talked about that at the beginning. We can recognize specific voices. You've been in a crowded mall, kids running around everywhere, and you said your kid's name. Mason, snap to attention in a sea of voices. Why? He's programmed to hear his father's voice. He knows and recognizes it. You've seen out on a football field, right? Thousands of fans cheering, screaming, decibel meters off the chart. And a coach walks up and says, hey, I need you to give me this. And it's like that athlete can just tune into that voice and drown out all of the other noise. Why? Because he's trained his ears not to hear that voice, but to listen to that voice. And so Jesus says, there is a difference between listening and hearing. Hearing is receiving sound, right? Some of you are in the room today and you've been hearing this. <laughs> I'm pretty loud, so it's hard to avoid hearing it unless you turn that hearing aid way down. No, right? You've been receiving sound, but listening is actually receiving the sound, interpreting it, and understanding it. And Jesus is saying, my sheep, they hear me. They listen to my voice. They don't just hear it. It's not just a booming voice from heaven. Go left. Right? They are, they're not just hearing it. They're listening to this voice. Some of you this morning have been listening. And Jesus implies through this that it is possible to listen to our heavenly father. The next three weeks, we're gonna talk about ways that we can listen. So I'm gonna unpack it from you, for you as, as best as I can from the scriptures. And we're gonna talk about ways that we could know that we're listening. But I wanna break this down a little more because he says we listen. And then he also says, and I know them. I know them. Jesus knows you. I know them. Think about that for a moment. For some of you, that is so exciting. We have felt so alone and just wanting to know that somebody out there knows us. And for others, it is horrifying. <laughs> he knows me. He knows what I think and what I do and what I've done. Jesus is my sheep. They listen and I know them. He paints a picture of a heavenly father who's invested. And I gotta tell you, in this moment, in this time, in this place in history, being known by our heavenly father is something that is so incredibly important to understand. He knows you. He knows you. He knows your heart. He knows your pain. He knows your fear. He knows what you've been wrestling with. He knows your background. He knows you. It's a beautiful reality of a loving heavenly father. And then he says, finally, they follow me. They follow me. He's talking to this group of people who excommunicated someone for getting healed on a Saturday. And he's like, you're not following me. But that guy did. And my sheep will follow me. Remember, the picture of the sheep, his basic skill set is I can listen and I can obey. 
That's why the Lord constantly paints us in that picture. He's like, get this part right, guys. Hear my voice and be willing to obey. We hear and we follow. And the transformation and the power in our life, that, that the journey that faith takes us on and the experiences that we have are all connected to our willingness to just hear his voice and then go. So before we close up today, we got two more things to do. And, uh, but I wanted to uh, bring Rachel up here. Rachel, would you come up here? <laughs> so you may not know Rachel. You may know Rachel. I hope you do know her. If not, you should talk to her before uh, she gets out of here today because Rachel's getting ready to leave town. Um, when I say leave town, I mean really leave town. Uh, through YWAM, Youth with a Mission, she's going to India. And uh, yeah, so we, we are really excited for her and uh, bummed for us a little bit because I like when Rachel's around, but excited in the kingdom of what she's doing. And so she's traveling to India with YWAM and, uh, and her ultimate dream is to use her art and her influence to set free slaves in India who, uh, and work with them towards the abolishment of slavery there. So that's where she's going. Now, how do you hear God's voice and say yes to going to India? That's a big thing, right? So I thought it'd be cool before we pray for Rachel to let her share maybe just a, a response to a couple of things. I asked her this um, uh, through email uh, with Pastor Andrew's help uh, to, uh, to reply to this. So I'm gonna read just a little bit from her response in the email uh, to kind of save her having to go through all of it. And then I'll ask her a question. But I want you to hear her heart as she responds uh, to, to, to this, how do I hear from God and go do this? What, how did God speak to me? And so she said, when I began hearing from God, it terrified me. The fear of the Lord, the awestruck trembling still gets me. Two years ago, I began having waking visions, vivid and real, and I could see, feel, hear, and smell them. I was pretty sure I was losing my mind. One vision I kept coming back to, this is her words, so it's awesome. I was on top of an epic mountain lit by the sun. I was marching, leading an angel army into battle down into the pits of darkness and setting captives free. Later, <laughs> later, she went on to say that there were other little ways that she heard from God all along the process. And so would you tell me, Rachel, maybe just uh, uh, briefly, um, let me give you a microphone because that would actually be helpful. Some of the, uh, hold on, hold on. Right, here we go. Would you tell us maybe some, so you, so you had big pictures, you had some visions and some dreams. What were some of the little ways along the way that God spoke to you? before you said yes to this journey? Uh, he came along in a lot of different strange things, um, but I think one of the smaller ways, <laughs> um, I think one of the smaller ways was, I, I heard this podcast, yeah. um, of this guy who started a foundation who I'm actually gonna work for after YWAM, um, and one of the things that he said was, pay attention to things that make you cry. And because that's where the spirit's moving. And I had found over the last few years, um, while God was healing me in a lot of other ways, I kept watching these movies about abolition and bawling my eyes out and then getting really mad and then avoiding them, yeah. but then needing to watch them again. <laughs> um, and it, it hit me really hard at, after watching 12 Years as a Slave that that's exactly what I needed to be doing. But we don't have slavery as in our face today as um, we did a couple of, like even last century um, and so I started talking to friends and people and Ali actually pointed out that there was modern slavery in your face in India and then I've been doing a lot of research and just I just 
everything fell into place and all the things just came together and I realized my whole life God had been pulling me in that direction and I had been running the opposite way because it scared the crap out of me and I but that's how you know is when everything that you want is in it and it scares you to death but you know it's right but you also know that it's not from you. You know, that, yeah. it, that this is not my idea of a good time. Like, I'd rather go to the spa or something, you know. Yeah. But, but it's, it's that thing that's so in your core and you knew that you were asking for it the whole time. Yeah. And then sometimes God shows up in really funny ways. So um, in my tension of not being in my previous season of life where I had community and people and going to all these classes and things. And I'm not in my next season of being in India and I've just been in this really intense tension. Yeah. Um, my subconscious prayer kept being, I need a new life because I can't be here anymore. Yeah. <laughs> Love you guys, but I gotta go. Um, and got, I got this really hilarious uh, advertisement in the mail and the it was like a ad for a food thing. Um, and it was labeled new life. And that was, like, the name of the whole conference that's going on this weekend. Um, and I was like, thanks, God. Okay, I get it. Um, just, you know, patience and waiting for that. So he shows up in the little things um, like that or a song that just hits too home, close to home or podcasts that talk about topics that I had no idea they were going to talk about and it just leaves me gutted or books that I stumble on or I think one of my favorite ones was Monica Moved Here. Um, which was totally an answer to prayer. But when she moved here, we were praying, like, we need more people that are our age because yeah. not a lot of people here are in their t early 20s. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> and so we were looking for friends, and um, Jill, who just moved, she was like, oh, connect to the Young Adult Initiative, and it led to this, like, domino effect where we met this random person who's out in Spokane, or Pullman, thank you, and he's like, oh, you should meet my friend. She likes these books, too. And then we met her, and it created this whole community for us just by meeting this one person and then this other random person and then going and showing up, even though I was super uncomfortable. And then having a conversation with a stranger led to another conversation with a stranger, which led to the best friendships I've ever had in my whole life. Wow. And um, just reflecting with you in the hall, like, listening to God has been really difficult and really interesting. Um, but... He's been training me through something totally different yeah. to show up and discern his voice from the enemy, from like the world, from my voice, from my fears and anxieties, and what I think is going to happen, and my logic. And 90% of the time, I feel crazy because God's understanding and God's ways are beyond mine. Yeah. Um, but when I follow through and I do the thing that scares me so much, um, and I actually step out in faith, there's this beautiful bliss that I, I can't even explain. It's just so amazing. And it always leaves me crying a lot. But I'm always a lot more free on yeah. the other side of that. And, and the fear doesn't so hold good. me back anymore. Yeah. So those are the, the ways that he kind of shows up in the little things. Yeah. Can you guys, uh, would you give Rachel just a round of applause for listening to God and representing us? What I'd like to do... <clears throat> Um, what I'd like to do is, um, would you guys uh, stand with me and, and uh, 
we're going to pray for Rachel. And um, if any of our, uh, our our board of directors, our elders are here, would you come? And anyone maybe who's on the uh, the communion serving team, because we're going to take communion right after, and any of our staff, if you'd like to come. And then if you're here and you're just like, I need to get up there and pray for Rachel, um, I'm going to move you forward a little bit so that people can come. Um, this is a moment you can jump in and uh, put a hand on, on her. Um, here's what I love. Rachel moved from hearing to listening and had to take action and, and uh, you know, had to, had, to, had to get into a partnership with what God was doing, had to raise funds, network, come up with a plan, do some of those things. God was speaking to her all the way through, and we're going to talk in the next several weeks over and over again about uh, uh, different ways that God does do that. But she responded, and so this is an incredibly awesome moment. Again, we've been talking about people giving their hearts to Jesus, 22 in the last four weeks, people going public with their faith. This is now someone going out into the world in a missionary journey with a specific mission from God to go free slaves. How cool is that? This is when, when we get together as a body and we bring our strength together. Many of you gave um, uh, to, to Rachel to help support her get there. Um, I'll be uh, getting updates, I'm hoping, uh, and that we can post and pray and find out needs and help and meet, her, uh, meet those needs in, in this next journey uh, as she goes. But would you extend a hand this way and, uh, and then we're just gonna pray. <sighs> Jesus, how good is the voice of the shepherd who calls us out of sometimes our comfort and our, our place where we have like cuddled in for the night and into not just anywhere, but green pastures, not just randomly out like lambs to be slaughtered, but you bring us out into green pastures and you love us with a perfect father's love. And so you speak and we have the decision to make, do we hear you or do we listen? And God, thank you for Rachel who's listened. Thank you for the incredible faith that lives in her, the passion to see freedom experienced in your kids who you love that haven't experienced it. I pray for incredible favor. I pray for safety. I pray you'd put a hedge of protection around her that would, would, uh, would baffle the mind of people that she encounters. I pray though the wolf would come to steal and kill and destroy, we have a good shepherd who is faithful, who, who doesn't abandon us when dangers comes. And so I pray in the name of Jesus, you would guard her heart and mind. And guard her body too, God. I pray for her family, for Patty and Faith and the, the family, God. I just pray in the name of Jesus, would you give them peace? Uh, would you give them comfort and confidence knowing that the God of the universe who holds the stars in their orbit holds, God, uh, 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 Rachel's life in his hands and can be trusted with that. I pray you'd send her out boldly, give her words to say, increase the uh, uh, effectiveness of her, uh, of her giftingness, magnify it as she gives it to you. I pray that she would experience literally the multiplication that you describe in the scriptures when we trust you with our faith and we're faithful and little, you give us more and more and more and more because you wanna see life break out on earth as it is in heaven. So we thank you for it. So we send her, we commission her, and we, uh, we affirm in her this opportunity to go and be a light into a dark place. Set I pray heaven would get bigger because of her work and her heart and her commitment. We love you and we thank you in the name of Jesus. Amen and amen and amen. Oh man, our kids ministry is not gonna love me. <laughs> because we're not done yet.
we're going to go relatively quickly. I'm, I'm going uh, to have the elements come around for communion. And you think, well, why are we doing communion? Because Jesus said, that he, he said, this is what we do to remember him. This is how we stay connected. This is how we recalibrate to his mission and his purpose and who he is. And if we're going to walk into a conversation about being his sheep and knowing his voice, then we should obey what he asked us to do. And so we're going to take communion and remember him. So the elements are going to go around. You're going to get a, a juice and you're going to get a bread. Just go ahead and take those as that goes around we're going to worship and sing together so pay attention to two things at once and then i'll come back up here we'll pray we'll take and we'll celebrate okay i'm the good shepherd jesus says and the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep there was a lot of metaphor going on but this wasn't metaphor he says i'm going to pay the price for you so that you can have the kind of relationship with your heavenly father that i have with our heavenly father so that you can be known that you can know my voice and you can follow. It's available to you. It's available to me. So Jesus on the night he's betrayed says, whenever you do this, do this in remembrance of me. So would you take the wafer and the juice and let's pray. Jesus, we do recognize that we don't have it all figured out when it comes to hearing your voice. But we want to do more than that. We want to listen. We want to figure out how to hear and obey and do what sheep are supposed to do. And thanks for the humility that comes from reminding us who we are and who you are. You love us and we partner with you, but you're the shepherd. And so we recognize the incredible price you paid as a good shepherd for the safety of, our, of the sheep. Thanks for calling us out of comfortable places into challenging new experiences. Thanks for giving us faith that we can step up. Thanks for being the gate and not letting anyone else determine our destiny, just, just our relationship with you, and we can trust you. We love you. We recognize what you did and do for us, and we remember in the holy name of Jesus. Amen. Would you take and eat? And you can drink the juice. Church, I don't know how to tell you, but God's doing crazy, amazing, wonderful things in our body, in our community, and in the world, and we're just getting going. Love you guys. Next week, we're going to start probably having sign-up sheets to, to get into relationship. Some of you that heard me uh, pleading for some spots that need to get filled in some of our teams, um, you can still fill out a contact card or email us. Just throw it in the gray box back there. If you missed that, God bless you. Have an awesome week in the Lord.